0: Welcome to Smart Sex, Smart Love. We're talking about sex goes beyond the taboo and talking about love goes beyond the honeymoon. Today's podcast title is Vulnerability, Sex, and Suicide. My guest today is love and leadership coach Shayna James. For the past 20 years, Shayna has coached more than 1,000 people to find love, rekindle spark, step into leadership, grow businesses, increase their impact, and become more personally inspired and fulfilled. Shaina has a master's degree in psychology, DISC, DISC and PQ certifications. Hopefully you'll tell us what that, those are and has spent 15 years facilitating workshops on authenticity and communication. She has also started multiple businesses and helped hundreds of entrepreneurs start their own. Her deep and spiritual practice adds support for stuck spots in your career, love and sex life and soul purpose. She loves working with people who are sensitive and seek a deeper understanding of life and love. Welcome, Shana. Thank
1: you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, so nice to meet you. I'm so I'm looking forward. I mean, it's such a strange um, uh, juxtaposition <laughs> of vulnerability, sex and suicide. I was like, I know,
1: like, I know I even said maybe that's too much. But you know, the the reality is that they really, you know, there is an overlap there. And I I tend to love, you know, uh, I tend to love the overlaps, right? Like I talk about how sales and sex are, um, there, there are a lot of overlaps, right? The bedroom and the boardroom. And when you really think about men, I I work a lot with men. And so when men are unhappy or when couples aren't having sexual satisfaction, you know, men tend to be very, isolated and alone and not getting support, and it can lead to depression, it can lead to suicide. So, right, the 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 crisis that I'm seeing right now is that as relationships are breaking down and people are having less sex or less connected sex, you know, the the inner sense of life is good and I'm okay decreases. And the suicide rate for men is unfortunately extremely high right now
0: hmm. What is what are the statistics for suicide among men?
1: God, the last I mean, the last I was reading, suicide rates for men are four times higher than women, but I don't know the exact percentages. It's different in different places in the world. I know Australia has a pretty high rate of suicide for men, and they, I believe the U.S. does as well. So it's just, you know, it's it's sad to yeah. to look at and to see, OK, how can all of us men, women, people of all genders right? What needs to happen to create some more balance? And so that people don't feel people of all genders, right, don't feel as isolated and alone. And um, yeah, stuck in that sense of, I don't know, you know, I don't know what will have me feel good. And I feel afraid to say it, right? There's this shame um, yeah. around not being not feeling good, not doing good enough. And then, then the isolation.
0: Yeah. You know, I should really know those statistics about men because I, my yes. work is on male sexuality. And yeah, um, and I do know about vulnerability. I, I always talk about how we teach little boys to turn their backs on vulnerability. I know. And, right. So that they can join the fray of patriarchy and boyhood yes. and friend. Fr- and then when they become men, people shame them like what's wrong with you? Why aren't you vulnerable? And we forget that. That's how we taught them.
1: Yeah, yeah. In my TEDx talk, I did a TEDx talk called what a 1000 men's tears reveal about the crisis between men and women. And one of the examples was where someone shamed my kid who was in kindergarten, you know, walking Mm. down the hall in school crying, and this woman just walked by and said, no tears, some, you know, random person, like not even knowing what my kid was crying about. And I was like, what? That is ridiculous. You know, I I said, I fortunately did not punch her, but I I wanted to. And I, you know, immediately right. said to my kid, tears are fine. Tears are okay. It's okay to cry. It's okay to hurt about things. And, you know, bringing vulnerability into sex since the, the podcast today is about sex. It's like a lot of men come to me and women too thinking I shouldn't admit that either I don't know what I'm doing or I'm not sure if I'm satisfying you or sex doesn't feel good to me. And if we don't talk about it, and we don't say anything, whether it's before, during or after, right, those are great times to talk about it, the setting up a sexual experience, or sometime not in the bedroom, there's in the midst of it, which can be the hardest moment. And then I really talk about the debrief, right? You know, if you talk about what went well, what did we love about that experience? And what would we want different? Then we're not as isolated and alone and going off into our own silos, feeling like, "Well it's hopeless, it's never going to get better, I'm never going to get what I want, and you know that that has a huge impact on somebody's life and this isn't just sex, right? I was going to say like it, it expands into intimacy and connection and affection yes, and all of that, but sex is sure. a very concrete way to look at it
0: but now um tell me because you talk about vulnerability having to do with the high rate of suicide uh, around sex, I guess so well, how do you make that? Connection. Right.
1: I mean, it, it, I don't think it, it, it has to do with sex, but sex is part of it, right? So it's not like just vulnerability around sex leads to suicide, but vulnerability in general, where when people don't feel like they can be vulnerable, or they can say what their needs are, what their fears are, then again, that leads to what we've been talking about, this sense of isolation, the sense of nobody's on my side, nobody knows me, nobody understands me. And so I find that sex is a very concrete way to see what's happening in all other aspects of life as well, right? Because you can see, oh, this physical act didn't go well, or then, you know, we broke down, then we stopped talking to each other, right? Whereas in some of the other aspects of life, whether it's, um, you know, connection, affection, or even work, career, you know, colleague, relationships, family relationships, it's a little less uh, specific, right? It's a little less concrete.
0: Yes. Yeah. I do know that because I work with mostly heterosexual couples. People don't yeah. think that because I'm gay and a lot of my writings are gay. and yeah. But I do. 75%, I work with men yeah. and uh, they're, they're uh, female partners. And the biggest issue is when he's watching porn or erotica and she catches him and he cannot explain to her why he's watching why? it. It's uh-huh. not about her, that it's separate from her. It's an addition to her. Yeah. And, and so then that would be, uh, thankfully, that brings them into the office. I don't know about the couples that don't, right. because they can't talk openly. The, the men don't have the words. Have you seen yeah. this in yes. your practice?
1: Definitely. I've definitely seen this. And I tend to work with a lot of men. A lot of men come to me sometimes with their partners, but sometimes alone. Talking about their relationship and whether it's going to work or how, you know, why it's breaking down. And then, and then often men who are single who want to be in a relationship and it hasn't worked in the past. So I do often see that men don't have words. And as a woman who tends to also work with a lot of heterosexual men, because I am a woman in that way, and I get to play the role of the woman. And so I help them practice getting the words out of their mouths. Right. And so if there's a moment where it's like we hit a pocket of, shame or fear or sadness or whatever it may be, we get to slow it down and say, okay, what's really going on there? And why, you know, why do you judge yourself for this? Or what are the words that you would actually use to express how this fills a desire for you? It doesn't necessarily mean anything about her. Or what would you want to have in the, in the dynamic between the two of you? You know, maybe it's not about cutting out porn completely, but it might be about less porn, more of something in this dynamic in your relationship. And if you're scared to ask for it or you don't have the words, then let's practice and explore what that would be.
0: Yeah, no, I like that a lot. You put in um, your work is about vulnerability being sexy. Can you Mm. talk about that?
1: Yeah, well, I think a lot of people think that vulnerability kills passion, And a lot of men come to me thinking, well, if I'm vulnerable, then I'm going to seem weak, or I'm going to seem small, or I'm going to seem boyish. But again, in my TEDx talk, I talk about the difference between a vulnerability dump, right, where it's like a little bit of like a hot potato, like, I can't handle this, I got to get rid of this, I don't like this discomfort, can you take it, can you fix it, versus a sense of, okay, I am a strong and powerful human being. And there's something I'm feeling vulnerable about right Mm -hmm. now. And Mm -hmm. to to be able to say that, right, we have to love ourselves enough that we, you know, we have to work through the shame. If there's something we feel ashamed about, then we do that kind of dump or we say it apologetically or we say it defensively or Mm -hmm. we don't say it at all. And so, again, a lot of times I end up working with people on that. Self love. What would it take to have compassion for yourself? What would it take to make that desire or that uh, frustration about something that isn't working? What would it take to make that right? And so then you can come to a conversation and vulnerability. I believe vulnerability. And I've experienced this many times where it can be really sexy. My partner even said to me the other day, wow, you just said that really vulnerable thing. And somehow it was really hot. You know, somehow I felt way more connected to you. And I got turned on, as opposed to you were over there, distant, not telling me what was going on. It was, you know, very confusing and separate. So I think about conversations about what do we actually want? You know, what do we want in our uh, romantic life? What do we want in our partnership? Those conversations, when you actually start to feel the pleasure of the desires versus shame about desires... They get more playful, they get more exciting, they get more edgy, and they get more sexy.
0: Yeah, and that's the promise of helping people begin those sexual health conversations and have erotic compassion for one another. That's what I call it.
1: Oh, I love that erotic compassion. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, I think it's really important. But I also find that when I ask straight couples, I call them mixed sex couples too because they're not always, you know, they could be bisexual. or yeah. Um I asked them, you know, so what about masturbation and they're like we we never talk about that. Right. I'm like why don't you talk about you know like gay male and lesbian couples talk about talk that. Talk about it. But, I know. Yeah.
1: Heterosexual it's, couples really got the the shaft somehow not in the good way, right? It's like I don't know I don't I don't know why, but that would be a great topic for another time is why why do you know gay couples lesbian couples why do people of mixed genders talk or or you know sexual desires preferences like somehow they got outside of the box of yes. we're not allowed to talk about this, maybe because it's just not, you know, the, the information, which is bad information is not passed down. And so you're kind of finding your own way. Yes. Whereas in heterosexual relationships, we just take what's there uh, assuming, Oh, well, that's how it's supposed to be. But it's part of my friend's such shit information that then most of us are, you know, up the Creek. <laughs>
0: I know, I know. And if they can't talk about masturbation, then it's really hard to get them talking about just what I want erotically. What I want,
1: what I like, yeah. yeah.
0: Have you been, you know about those websites where people can go on and uh, put in what they like, and then the partner puts in what they like, and it only spits out what they like together. No, that sounds great. I know. So if you said something that the partner didn't want, didn't like, then they never know about it until you decide to tell. Uh Uh-huh.
1: That sounds amazing. I like that. I mean, right. Cause it is really vulnerable. It's, it's interesting how, you know, even for me, I found in my, with my history, being joyful can be vulnerable, which might sound crazy, yeah. right? But, you know, having joy and being excited in my family system wasn't really the way that it worked. And so for me, if I get really joyful or excited about something, I can feel like, is this okay? I might be left or abandoned, you know, even though it's in some ways, it's like, well, of course, joy is great. And joy is contagious. And if you're joyful, then maybe your partner would feel more joyful. But we all have these very twisted, you know, histories, where we get wounded when we're young. And so desires, especially I find for most of my clients are very vulnerable to share if you don't know if someone's going to say yes, you know, or if they're going to like it too. And what I often work with people on is, okay, even if someone else doesn't like your desire, it may not be a match for desires, but that doesn't make it bad or wrong.
0: Right, right. And you know, a lot of what happens is people uh, could be either partner, if I have a disgust response, and then if I have a disgust response, I find you disgusting.
1: Right. And then that
0: stops people from being vulnerable. Who wants to yes. feel that way?
1: No, nobody wants to be received with disgust, right? So right, right. then we have to work with, okay, how are you receiving? Or then if I'm working with a man, especially who's coming to me without his partner, I have to work with him on, all right, what happens when you get that disgust response? How do you still maintain your own self-worth and sense of, you know, goodness in the face of someone else's disgust?
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. right so a lot of guys what they'll do is if she finds let's say his porn this is the typical scenario in my office she yeah. finds his porn she's mortified she's comparing herself you want the, that then over me and the, that's not true and he doesn't have the words for it whatever so then he says i promise i will never do this again because he doesn't want to hurt her right. i clean my um you know uh computer i wipe my hard drive whatever and, um, and then he does then it again he does it again and then the next time it's not about the porn anymore it's about it's the, the, trust lie, and the lie right, yeah. and the trust and i always tell straight men do not make this promise right. because what you're saying is and really helping couples understand auto erotic a separate sex lives from each other that just involve yourself should be added to your relationship what do yes, you think yes
1: i completely agree and i like that term auto erotic because i'm actually teaching a class i think this week i was gonna say next week i think it's this week on what to do with your sexual desires. what to do with your desire for sex when you're not having it yes to a group of men and one of them is right. That sense of autoerotic. Did you call it right? Or yes. this, you know, yep. that, right. That you can have a sex life with yourself. It's not all dependent on your partner. And of course we want to get you having a great sex life with your partner. But right. if you're feeling like there's no other option or there's no other way to satisfy yourself, then you get really stuck in that situation.
0: Right. And, um, so how do you teach then this kind of vulnerability? Do you have steps or how do you, what do you do? a
1: great question. I mean, I do have some context, you know, some ways for men, I often work with men right now, which is why I keep saying men, but it could be per- people of any gender, you know, sure. to bring up a vulnerable conversation. And to, to one of the important pieces that I find is context, you know, that as you're starting to have a conversation, when you tell someone why you want to have this conversation, it takes the stories and the fears and the the wounding, you know, that, oh my gosh, this thing is going to happen to me again, out of their mind and replaces it with a sense of why you want to have this conversation. So if I say to you, wow, honey, I'm having a desire to try this new thing sexually, what often happens with the receiving person is you don't like our sex life. I'm not good enough. There's someone else hotter. You, you know, you were watching porn, all these things. Whereas if I say to you, you know, I've been feeling this desire to know you and your body more completely, or I've been feeling this, you know, desire to have a kind of sex with you that I don't know if we've ever had, but I want to feel closer to you through it. If I set the context of why I'm bringing up this topic, then the vulnerability tends to go better. So I do have things like that, that I work with people on. And then ultimately, like I said before, I think it's when we, you and I, help people to love themselves, which is such a broad concept, but what I mean by that is to really know I am good, my desires are good, I don't have to apologize or defend anything, I can have an open-hearted conversation without collapsing or falling into despair or self-hatred, you know, that to me is the, the source of vulnerability being able to be shared and then actually creating more connection
0: i like the what you just said we call it in psychotherapy um is and you know this is differentiation right Mm -hmm. is what makes you different doesn't make you bad or wrong or what makes me different doesn't make me bad or wrong
1: yes yes but when there's sexual
0: desire oh go ahead no no you go well, just when there's sexual interests that differ or there's desire discrepancy or those kinds of things, that's like heavy, heavy stuff. And like you, That's why I love this work right. you do is the vulnerability gets even higher. Yeah,
1: right. And if you can't, if you've been trained that you're not supposed to talk about it, or if you've never been trained about how to talk about it in a way that goes well, and then you have an experience where you try to bring it up and someone's disgusted with you or someone shames you or makes you wrong in any way then what are you going to do? Right? Likely you're going to say, forget it. I'm not going to do that again. That was not a very fun experience. And, right. and you carry that forward into your relationships.
0: Right. Right. So um what else about your work should we know that we haven't touched on yet?
1: What else? Um, that's a good question. A big question. I don't know. I think, again, I really love the range of I've, I've had many experiences in my life in different relationship styles and different sexual styles and, you know, from Tantra and kink and BDSM and open relationships and all kinds of things. So I just have a very accepting way. Um, and that when people come to me, you know, things don't surprise me. And mm. I find I have a, and I guess you could call it a kink in a way of like, I love helping people understand how a wide range of experiences and differences can actually come together in a really beautiful, creative, artful way, right? That, like you said, we can use our differences. If one person is really into, you know, a kind of connection, affection, or sex that's very gentle and loving and another person wants something, you know, harder and faster, like helping, I love helping people bridge those gaps and have those conversations. Um, And again, sometimes it's in the bedroom, and sometimes it's about quality time or emotional connection, or, you know, I'm I'm actually working on a book called Honest Sex. And what I find in there is that honesty is ultimately the foundation of passion. And without that, you know, like it hardly, I hardly ever actually work on sex with my clients, right? We hardly ever talk about the sexual act because we're talking about everything around sex that actually creates passion and those conversations and the emotional connections. And again, our, you know, back to our relationship with ourselves. So those are some of the things that I'm passionate about.
0: Well, I like to teach people, and you probably already know this too, about erotic orientation, right? We have a sexual orientation to whom we're attracted, but uh-huh. our erotic orientation has all of our turn-ons, all the positions we like, all the role plays, all the power exchange, and those are the yes. vulnerable places that people don't go. And then even if they do go there, then it's vulnerable to say, I get off on this. this I experience pleasure yes. from this thing that might be against our morals, against the law, against, you know, in our heads that I might want to role play consensually with you, but would be weird, you know, like that, those are really hard conversations for couples, aren't they?
1: Yes, they are. And I love that you talk about that. And I love that you have that distinction, right? That it's not just sexual attraction, there's erotic attraction. And, you know, because it's not much talked about, often couples come together without knowing that about each other. And that can create, you know, that can wreak some havoc down the road when it's like, Oh, I didn't know. And I think it can get harder and harder, the longer you're with someone, to talk about things because it's like, Oh, well, if, if I didn't say that five years ago, I'm going to say it now. And then my partner is going to be shocked or my partner might leave me because they don't like that. So I really encourage people, even if it's been a lot, whether it's, whether it's the, a new relationship or whether it's been a long time to find ways to have those conversations. And if you get stuck, right, come to someone like us so that you can really right. get clear. Oh, this is, this is what I'm ashamed of. This is what I want. This is how I want to, you know, talk about this. This is what would actually go over better without any forcing or, you know, pushing someone into something. But again, we go back to vulnerability. How do I share from my own strength and sense of self as well as vulnerability and compassion for myself and the other person?
0: Well, your work sounds so good, and I knew it would be. And we, when we looked you up and found you, we we're like, we have to have her on. Aww, She's got things to say. Thank Where you. can people find you, Shana?
1: Yeah, my website is shanajamescoaching.com, and it's Shana, S H A N A. And if you add the, what is it, backslash, and then TEDx, you can see my TED talk, What a Thousand Men's Tears Reveal About the Crisis Between Men and Women. And I also have some guides and support there for both men and women. And, you know, I I feel called to say this, like you said, I tend to work with couples who are heterosexual, but any gender you can, you can get any of the guides for any gender because, you know, there's a lot of things, a lot of people who listen to the podcast find, Oh, I love learning. I'm a woman, but I love learning what men are learning. And I'm, you know, whatever gender you can mix and match. So pick what works for you.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. And I hope people will go to your TED Talk, go to your website, find your work. Um, I do want to thank you for being here and joining me on Smart Sex, Smart Love. And you can hear more of my podcasts at smartsexsmartlove.com. And also follow me on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can go to Dr. Joe Court. Um, Well, actually, it's Court.com, And all of my handles are at Dr. Joe Court. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time.